Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, July 21st, 2021, and happy National Junk Food Day to all of you couch potatoes out there. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a huge fan of the salt and vinegar potato chip, and joining me as always is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, what is your favorite junk food? I gotta say, Tom, the best junk food on the planet is the elusive beast known as the Cheetos Paw. All right. Well, you know what? If you don't know what Steven's talking about, you absolutely need to go look that up, but not before you get to the end of this episode, because you know what's not junk? The news lineup that we've got for you, because it's been a very interesting week. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off with uh, a news story that uh, references a recent Tech Field Day presenter. Hazelcast is touting some new features in their latest release that it's aimed at boosting real-time applications. Uh, now, the company specializes in rapid responses to ephemeral events for large amounts of data. And that sounds pretty impressive, but think about it this way. They're positioning their software to help people make really quick decisions over a really large customer and user ecosystem, you know, kind of like banking ATMs and things like that. Um, this new Hazelcast platform includes distributed processing, in-memory data grid technology, and ANSI SQL support. Now, Stephen, uh, I mentioned that Hazelcast was a recent presenter at Cloud Field Day 11. What are your thoughts on this new uh, platform release from the crew? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hey, uh, the thing about Hazelcast is that it's, I, I've said for a while that the company is kind of like this under the radar kind of inside baseball kind of thing. It's actually really interesting. So let me take you back to the 1970s uh, when Fred Martin started popularizing this new pitch called the split finger fastball. You see, nobody cared because nobody knew what it was. But in the 80s, this became the dominant pitch in baseball because if you were a pitcher, you were like, whoa. If you're a baseball player, you're like, cool. And if you're a person in the stands, you're like, what? But it gets outs. That's Hazelcast. Hazelcast is a split finger fastball for transaction processing. This thing is incredible. And, um, and, and in fact, it's gotten such incredible traction with uh, all sorts of high volume uh, transaction processors. So, you know, credit card transactions, you know, point of sale, things like that. And yet, and yet probably the majority of the IT industry would be like all those people in the stands at those, uh, you know, Mets games in the, in the eighties and, uh, you know, Tigers games and stuff saying, you know, um, something just happened and, uh, and he got that out. Uh, that's cool, but I don't know what that was. That's, you know, the problem with Hazelcast is that unless you're, you know, a pitcher on the bench, you're not going to kind of get what's cool about this thing. But essentially, this is a company that's doing the impossible, and I'm pretty impressed by it. So, uh, yeah, this new platform is pretty cool because it combines their, uh, you know, transaction processing with their distributed, uh, you know, transaction uh, capability. And it, uh, you know, it's got in memory and it saves it to disk and it's just all around pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, if, if you're in that space, if you knew any of those things, uh, go look it up. If you're not in that space and you're like, what? Well, just know that it's cool. It's a split finger fastball. Tom, uh, it's Wednesday. Uh, must be remote code exploit day, right? Uh, Fortinet is back. Uh, the latest contestant uh, with the new bug that allows remote users to bypass authentication and execute arbitrary commands as root. Uh, this exploit is found in the daemon that manages communications and from the FortiGate units to their FortiManager oversight systems. The I'm going to call it FortiDaemon. 
seems to be disabled by default in many systems and is somewhat trivial to shut down from the command line. Uh, Tom, is this a bad case of not ensuring that your code was safe or is this just sort of Wednesday? It's sort of Wednesday anymore, but I think what we're starting to see is that hackers are getting very um, creative when they're going up that supply chain. So effectively what this is, and I want to make sure that I get this right, because it does sound like someone just jumped on a keyboard. It is the FGFMSD daemon. Essentially what it does is it controls the communications between a FortiGate or a Forti Analyzer and the Forti Manager that basically acts like the controller. Now, if you built this thing like eight years ago, you're probably thinking, ah, I don't need to secure that communications because nobody's going to be able to intercept it. Welcome to 2021. I can intercept anything. So if you are a product manager for something out there, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to your team and I want you to ask one simple question. Are all of our communications encrypted with TLS? And if they don't know or the answer is no, guess what you get to do for the rest of the year? You get to fix this problem because you don't want to be the next contestant on the Wednesday remote code exploit uh, version of the rundown. And basically, here's the reason. All communications have to be secured by default anymore. Think of the zero trust models that you're probably selling on the other side of that firewall that your customers are like, oh, yeah, I can authenticate everybody. Do the same thing for your devices. Don't trust them until they're admitted to the system and secure all their communications by default, because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in this tiny little RCE hole and you're going to be scrambling to patch. Now, I will say that the one good thing about this is that that daemon appears to be disabled by default on most systems. It can only be activated on a handful of them and it has to be done on purpose. So there's a good workaround in the article that we're going to link in the show notes. Uh, basically, just go in and disable this thing and it'll tell you, hey, it's already off. And then, you know, wait for the patch and then, you know, request that this not be a problem anymore because... Really, it's 2021. It really shouldn't be. Um, Stephen, <clears throat> after raising about $274 million in funding, Pivot3 has decided to pivot away. Uh, they announced that they are selling all of their assets to Quantum for about $8.9 million in cash. Now, Quantum is really happy to pick this up because that gives them a lot of market share in the video surveillance space. And if you don't know how much storage that video surveillance uses, um, this is a big get for Quantum. Now, here's the other really weird thing. Quantum CEO Jamie Lerner used to be the COO of Pivot3 back in the day. So I think that maybe Jamie had an idea about what he was doing whenever he purchased this company because he only left back in 2018. Um, Steven, I know that Quantum does a lot of things out there, but based on what I'm seeing, they're considering this to be a huge transformational move for them. Is that what you're thinking too? Well, it's interesting what's happened with this hyperconverged infrastructure market. And for those of you who don't kind of know what it is, I guess the TLDR is that uh, you know hyperconverged infrastructure takes the magic of virtualization and just like kind of folds the whole stack in on itself. So instead of having just virtual servers with physical networking and storage, you have virtual servers, virtual networks, virtual storage. Like the whole thing is virtual, and it all runs in virtual space, and that's kind of cool. And it was a really, really great idea back in the, you know, decade ago timeframe when a whole bunch of companies came out doing this stuff. Since then, uh, most of those companies have been acquired or kind of matured into the big market players. So SimpliVity was one of the leaders in their, uh, you know, HC, or H, uh, <laughs> HPE. Um, you know, uh, Dell has, uh, of course, VMware. So they've got, you know, VxRail and a lot of other uh, uh, HCI type systems from the VMware side. 
Uh, NetApp, one of the reasons they bought SolidFire was for their uh, HCI, and then they kind of are moving away from that product. Uh, frankly, I think the market is just maturing. Uh, we didn't need Pivot3 anymore, and that's uh, kind of sad. On the other hand, though, uh, I think that Quantum can probably make some hay with this technology. One of the things I'll call out is that uh, there was this company, NextGen Storage, uh, which presented at the Tech Field Day events a long time ago as well. They were bought by Fusion IO, which went to SanDisk, NextGen was spun out, and NextGen was acquired by Pivot3. So maybe, uh, maybe one of the things Quantum's getting out of this is the NextGen storage technology. Uh, maybe what they're getting out of this is just decent storage and HCI technology that they can merge with some of the stuff that they are already uh, have on the cart. So uh, I think that the big story here is not whatever happened to Pivot3 or let's talk about HCI. I think the big story here is that quite simply virtualization and hyperconvergence is a feature of modern data center systems and everybody's got some. I mean, Cisco, uh, of course, has uh, their tremendous uh, uh, Hyperflex offering, which came out of the SpringPath acquisition. So yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of HCI out there and some of it looks like servers and some of it looks like other stuff. So I, I think that's what really what, what Quantum is doing here and what uh, happened to Pivot3. So uh, Tom, uh, you know, it's a, a week in a year. So let's talk about SolarWinds, should we? Um, you know, uh, so there's a company, Enable, um, that is now divested from SolarWinds. This new company formally went public last week as planned months ago. The stock offering saw SolarWinds shareholders picking up uh, one share of Enable for every two shares of SolarWinds they had. The move comes as SolarWinds continues to combat the damage, more like PR damage than anything, done by the hack discovered in 2020. Um, and uh, moving Enable into their own separate company reverses a 2013 acquisition of the company. Um, Enable is poised to maintain the MSP aspect of the monitoring business while uh, shedding the negative stigma of SolarWinds. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on this move? So in full disclosure, my company that I used to work for before I came to Gestalt IT and Tech Field Day was a huge Enable partner. We basically brought them from where they were to, well, they got bought two days before I came to work here. So that should tell you kind of how long I've been working with them. Um, and I always thought I was really curious. I mean, obviously at that time, SolarWinds was doing a really good job of picking up companies to kind of help them augment this. And, and they needed a pickup in the managed service provider space. And then as soon as the new CEO came on board, and as soon as we started seeing all the rumblings of everything that quite honestly just keeps happening, like we predicted back at the beginning of the year, um, this move really feels to me like we're going to do everything we can to distance ourselves from what's going on. So they they had an, a, a, a stock offering. Uh, SolarWinds shareholders got shares of Enable stock. Of course, um, if you read the Market Watch story, SolarWinds stock went up and Enable stock actually went down, which if you know stock market trends means that that's a good thing for Enable and a nifty thing for SolarWinds. But they're also moving to the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. So Enable is basically getting out of Austin, which really feels to me like, hey, don't pay any attention to the people behind the curtain over here. We're completely different and we're really focused on the managed service provider space and please buy our stuff. Um, the name still has a lot of, um, I don't know, clout in the industry even eight years later because a lot of people remember what they were capable of doing back in the day. I, I And again, I only wish the best for them, but you've got to ask the question eventually, 
what's going to happen. And remember that SolarWinds went private with uh, with an equity buyout. And this is typically the kind of behavior that you see from an equity buyout. Let's carve off some of the pieces that still have some value and have them do their thing and then figure out what's left and what we can do with it. So fingers crossed for the people at Enable that they're going to make this a huge success and fingers crossed to the people at SolarWinds that this will allow them to refocus to kind of pick up the pieces after what seems to be a never-ending humiliation conga of news stories about them. All right, Stephen, uh, we talk a lot about Intel on this uh, show, but one of the things we don't talk about is what happens when people leave Intel. And I'd like to talk today about Mr. Bob Swan, because guess what? He's ready to start his next job. You may recall that he was the former CEO of Intel and he departed back in February, which was big news for us because it meant our good friend Pat Gelsinger um, came back to Intel to kind of take the reins. Um, now, Bob was the former CFO and by all reports was never really comfortable being the CEO anyway. He kind of got thrown into the mix at the last minute. Well, he got himself a job at Andreessen Horowitz and he's going to be a growth operating partner. Now, for those of you out there uh, who don't know, A16Z, which is the hip way of referring to it because there's too many letters otherwise, is uh, a venture capital firm. And they're probably banking on the fact that A, he used to be a CFO, so he has some money management skills, and B, he's Bob Swan. So name recognition gets you a lot in the VC world. Um, Stephen, is Swan's move kind of more in line with what we all believe he'd probably rather be doing anyway? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd, I'd say uh, good on you, Bob. Uh, this sounds like a good fit for you. Uh, it's important too to understand that uh, becoming a partner at A16Z involves a big bag of moolah. So I imagine that uh, Bob basically saw this as the next step in his career and the Andres and Horowitz said pe uh, people were like, uh, wait a second. So you used to be the CFO of EDS, TRW, Webvan, GE, eBay, and the CFO of Intel and then CEO of Intel. Um, you must have a really good electronic Rolodex. So yeah, uh, good on you, Bob. Um, I'm, I'm honestly thrilled by this. I think that it's a good move for Andreessen Horowitz. It's a good move for Mr. Swan, uh, probably a better fit for him than being Intel CEO ever was. And um, yeah, this is this is how the thing goes. So yeah, so uh, I imagine that uh, we're going to see a bunch of exciting uh, overpriced VC investments continuing in the Silicon Valley area using Intel money. So cool. Um, you know, that's uh, that's sort of how it is. Um, hey Tom, uh, you want to just take a closer look at some of these stories now? You think that's all right? Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on. Um, now I know you've never heard of ransomware before. And I know you've never heard of the R, evil gang, as I call them, or Revil, uh, which sounds like Weevil. Um, well, you know what? Uh, this big bad gang of malware uh, writers that was uh, taking the internet by storm and taking Colonial Pipeline and Kaseya by storm, well, uh, they might have gotten hacked. Uh, they're just a memory. Uh, Revil's websites are dark. Uh, the infrastructure appears to be taken offline, and, uh, and it's... Uh, like Kaiser Soze. Um, what is going on here? Uh, it's really strange. Aside from the scale that Revil had, uh, this disappearance comes just hours before a meeting between US and Russian officials to discuss the rampant malware attacks affecting global commerce. Um, what's going on here, Tom? Uh, was he never there? 
I love the Kaiser Soze reference, just by the way. That that's absolutely perfect. But I think that that's actually a lot more accurate than you might have intended. So we've seen this kind of behavior from a number of ransomware crews over the years. In fact, the the crew that hacked Colonial Pipeline was not actually Revil, but it was a, a team that used Revil software, and they scattered into the wind as soon as the heat came down. Because remember, the hack came out. And then we got a whole bunch of conflicting news stories. But the very first thing that we heard was the crew that hacked them saying, well, we didn't mean to shut the whole thing down, which kind of felt like garbage. It felt more like, oh, crap, they found us. Um, so this is actually a fairly common thing for people to do. They'll shut down, they'll scatter the assets, and then you'll see about three or four crews pop up that include people that used to be a part of that crew. And then they'll kind of, you know, set up shop again. It's not unlike that little thing of ours where you kind of have a crew that you start in a new city when the heat gets on. The thing, though, is, is that Revolve's kind of like become the poster child for why do state governments, state sponsored governments let these people get away with things? Because they're effectively operating out of certain Eastern European locations. I'll let you fill in the details there. But the fact that they basically scattered to the wind mere hours before White House officials met with Kremlin officials to talk about why is so much stuff getting hacked all of a sudden? I'm not a conspiracy theorist at heart, but boy, that timing seems a little bit more than just coincidental. The fact that, hey guys, clean this mess up and just take a coffee break until we have this meeting and then let's figure out what we're gonna do next. So here's the deal. Like if it had just been the websites going dark, I probably would have just said, oh, they'll be back because whatever. But they shut down all of their infrastructure, which includes their CNC servers. And that's a big deal if you were relying on Revil's tools to launch your campaigns, so to speak. So I think what's happened is, is that the heat is a little too close for them. And we've seen a lot of this over the last few months as we've been reporting on what seems to be, again, a never-ending parade of ransomware stories. I think that global law enforcement was getting really close to this. And the meeting between the White House and the Kremlin wasn't so much as what's going on, but the subtext was, we know what's going on. You better tell them to get out of town because we're about to roll everything up and start pointing fingers. And so this gives the um, patrons, if you will, a little bit of plausible deniability. Well, we didn't know anything was going on. How dare something like that happen? I think we're going to see them come back. They're probably going to have a different name. They have cred, but they're you know they they don't want publicity. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to get a new spate of the tax, probably, I'd say maybe by September. Um, that should be just enough time for this to kind of fall out of the news cycle. I mean, Stephen, we've talked about this over and over and over again. You know, do you think that that's the case? Do you think these guys are going to come back or do you think that they've uh, taken their millions and retired to the Maldives or something? No, I think that uh, I think they were shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on here. And um and 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 took their winnings for a little while and and just sort of lay low for a little while. Um, Political is reporting that uh, the Biden administration doesn't know what happened. Uh, they're reporting that insiders are saying, uh, you know, the U.S. didn't shut this thing down. Um, so I imagine that either Putin went to them and said, "Shut it down," and they did. Uh, which, hey, you guys are a little smarter than I thought you were, because um, <laughs> otherwise. Uh, yeah, uh, that would have been a problem. And uh, or maybe, um, you know, maybe Putin went to them and said, give me the money and shut it down, which is entirely possible as well. Um, I would not be at all surprised if this was some kind of Russian action or if Putin went to them and said, just shut it down for a while. You can turn it back up in a little bit. 
Um, so it, it all comes down to Putin. Um, and uh, it always has. The fact that this stuff is uh, running right under the noses of the Russians, the fact that these ransomware gangs, as we previously reported, uh, don't infect systems in the Russian Federation, um, pretty much says that it's, if not government directed, at least government sanctioned. And the fact that it's government sanctioned, uh, to me, says that that's what's going on here as well, is that the Russian government uh, is the one behind this. Um, are they gone forever? No, no, they're evil after all. You can't kill evil. Yeah, that's true. Um, Steven, uh, speaking of something a little less evil though, um, I have some good news for you. The backup and recovery market is pretty solid right now. But you would expect that because, well, backup and recovery is kind of important because Gartner just released their latest Magic Quadrant. And guess what? The major players stayed pretty much where they were supposed to stay. IBM was the only one that kind of tumbled out of that coveted top right quadrant. Um, and then they did add Zerto, Druva, and Microfocus to their market and to the quadrant. And then they kind of shuffled the pieces a little bit so that you can't just put up the same one you had last year. Um, ArcServe did get promoted to the Challenger Square. And, um, you know, we saw some interesting movement. I think specifically the two things that I thought were more interesting to me were the fact that IBM kind of tumbled out of the leaders. Um, and they did not reflect the fact that Zerto got bought by HPE, which would make sense if this thing's been in the works for the last couple of months. They, they couldn't have really said anything about it. So I have a funny feeling that the next Square is going to have a much different lineup of people, but that's not my space, Stephen. That's really a lot of the things that you play in. Um, so what's your thoughts about kind of this fact that the magic square, magic quadrant for uh, back in recovery is kind of well static right now? Yeah, I, I think that honestly, my take on reading this story was, wait, why wasn't Druva in this thing last year? Uh, that's like, like fact number one, uh, I'm sorry. They belong where they are now, which is uh, in the visionaries quadrant, uh, you know, sneaking up. So, so, so let's set that one aside. Um, the other thing is that, quite frankly, IBM has been in the leaders quadrant of the magic quadrant for freaking ever. Um, you know, this is a company that has been uh, at the leadership of backup and recovery before there was uh, open systems, before there was Unix. I mean, you know, this is a, they, they've been there longer than Gartner. So uh, the fact that IBM was pushed out um, is frankly uh, a bit of a challenge for IBM, but not a huge one. Uh, their customers are still gonna use their stuff. Uh, they're super entrenched. You know, the company's been putting a lot of effort and a lot of time and money in, in developing their backup and recovery strategy and products and improving things. So I don't think this is a big deal for IBM, frankly. Um, and, and I think that IBM handled this really well. They released a statement basically saying, yeah, okay. Um, which again, that's actually really to their credit. Um, you know, the, I think that if you look at the front wave of the magic quadrant uh, with Veeam, Commvault, Rubrik uh, up there uh, with, you know, Veritas, Cohesity a little bit further back, uh, I think everybody in the industry can look at that and say, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, frankly, it's kind of surprising that Dell uh, wasn't moved down further as well with IBM because uh, for the same reasons that they moved IBM down. And that's quite simply that uh, you know, Dell and IBM are massive companies with massive install base. These other guys are smaller and more agile and improving and, you know, kind of moving out into that leadership position. And that's sort of how things work. 
uh, if you look at the magic quadrant for really anything, the leaders are uh, the big, but yet still not super giant, you know, you know, big, big enough to be big, but small enough to be nimble companies in the space. So, yeah, honestly, I think that this has a lot more to say about the magic quadrant than it does about uh, IBM specifically or Dell or Veeam or any of these companies. Um, frankly, they're, they're all doing a really nice job. You know, it's nice to see uh, upstarts like Veeam and Rubrik uh, right out there at the front. Uh, it's really impressive to see Commvault, you know, one of the oldest companies on the list, uh, really right out there at the front. And I think that that shows what happens when you're a focused company like Commvault instead of a giant conglomerate like a Dell or an IBM uh, makes sense. So anyway, I, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like this magic quadrant is right. What do you think, Tom? Uh, what's your take on the magic quadrant overall? The magic quadrant is a visual way to sell these reports. And I think it's funny because in the, sh the article we linked in the show notes, um, it was rather interesting that the, um, you know, the, the table that they list kind of ranks things, you know, like leaders, challengers, whatever, even though according to Gartner, there's no real order to it. But it's funny because if you're not in the top right part, you're not important. So I think ultimately what it boils down to is this is just a way to kind of, you know, like throw darts at something. And I think that when you talk about the fact that a company has fallen out of that, that leadership um, area, especially in a place like backup and recovery, which is a thing that most people feel like they need to have, um, it's saying that the people who are still up there are taking your market share. And I think that that may be the bigger story here is not that IBM fell, it's what caused IBM to fall. And I think it's that in an area where it's it's essentially pervasive now, like backup and recovery is just a thing you do. They keep having things taken away from them. And maybe that's the other story in the long run is that we're going to start seeing the Dells and the other companies of the world kind of falling out of this, not because they're not innovating, but because other people are innovating faster and taking their customers away as the, the cycles come up to say, do we still need to use this old way of doing all this backup or is there a better way out there? So, you know, fingers crossed that that ultimately is the real reason and not, oh, well, we're jockeying for positions so that you can um, increase your market share by the time the next report comes out. Tom, there's been another important story in the news this week, and that relates to revelations about the Israeli spyware company NSO Group and their spyware called Pegasus. Uh, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, Amnesty International reported that uh, targeted malware has been used to infect mobile phones as far back as 2014. And these devices are capable of being exploited with zero click vectors, including um, uh, payloads embedded in a text message. Uh, that are present even in the current software versions and current phones, including the ultra-secure uh, iPhone 12 with the latest version of iOS. This malware allowed phones to secretly transmit photos, messages, uh, record conversations uh, with third parties. Uh, it has to be uh, the work of somebody like Revo, right? No, no, no. In fact, uh, this software is being sold at a profit by an Israeli firm uh, called NSO Group, 
um, the exploit is, was available for sale and uh, Amnesty International suggests that uh, Pegasus was used uh, by all sorts of unsanctioned, uh, in all sorts of unsanctioned ways, including going against journalists and activists and government officials. Uh, NSU group claims that their software is strictly for counterterrorism use and uh, traces the, their kits can be found on a variety of non-terrorist users. Um, how big of a deal is this in your opinion, Tom? Uh, what's going on here with this law enforcement tool getting out there and being used in all sorts of uh, unscrupulous ways? Boy, it's a good thing I brought my soapbox for this Wednesday's episode. Do you remember several episodes ago when we talked about the fact that several intelligence and law enforcement agencies in the United States keep pressuring cell phone providers and mobile OS manufacturers like uh, our friends at Apple. Hey, would you just uh, create a, a backdoor encryption key for iMessage? We promise, we promise that we'll never use it without a warrant and it'll never get out and there'll never be any problems. All right, I want you to turn that page and I want you to start taking notes here. So you have a group that developed a tool that allows you to basically pull all kinds of juicy information off of a cell phone, including a record of all your text messages, record of all the pictures that you've taken, and secretly record your phone calls and upload them somewhere else. That's an intelligence agent's dream because I can surreptitiously get into your phone, take all the information that I need without having to actually get to you and then use that information, right? And then that group of people, after their mandatory military or intelligence service service, goes out into the real world and then offers that same tool for sale to anybody who wants to buy it with the I'm shocked there's gambling going on here thing right up front. You should never use this unless it's for counterterrorism purposes. Well, I'll give you a hint as to what happened. People who believe that journalists and activists and opposition politicians are terrorists bought the software. And of course, the company just looked the other way because they're getting paid. And what happened was exactly what we know what would happen when someone develops an exploit like this. It was used in ways that it shouldn't have been used. And the fact that this report came from Amnesty freaking International should tell you how bad this is. I really didn't want to believe this when I saw it because we should not live in an era where we surreptitiously spy on people that really should be above suspicion. Now, granted, politicians, probably, if you're on the other side of the aisle, you already have your suspicions. But these are journalists. These are people who are trying to uncover information to share with the rest of us. And now we're finding out, oh, hey, I don't like the story that that guy wrote about me. I'm going to put this payload on his phone, and I'm going to be able to see in everything he talks about and everything he talks to. And then we're, you know, we're going to get him because we didn't like that article. Yeah. Don't ever tell me that we need tools to break into people's phones without them knowing. And, and Amnesty's uh, uh, report has ways to figure out if you've been infected. And you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, oh, there's no way that I can. You're right. There's no way you could be infected because you'd never know. Um, now, granted, if you're not a target of an opposition group, you know, the, the likelihood of you being infected by Pegasus is low. But the fact that this thing even exists scares the living hell out of me. Yeah, and the, 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 it's, it's uh, Pandora's box with some of these tools, uh, quite frankly. And the same thing, as you're saying, I 100% agree with you about the backdoor uh, arguments. Uh, they're all out the window. I'm sorry. There's no way that this stuff isn't going to be used uh, for unsavory and even 
frankly, terrifying circumstances. Let me give you an example. So um, specific example with this particular malware. So one of the, the places that this malware was used was Mexico. And in Mexico, it wasn't used by the government to target terrorists. It wasn't even used by the government to target opposition figures. It was used, if you can believe this, by drug cartels to spy on anti-corruption investigators and journalists and judges. In other words, the drug cartels got their hands on this stuff and they were using it to protect themselves from, I guess, who we would all consider to be the good guys, right? Right? This is crazy stuff. Similarly, you're, you're probably thinking, oh, well, it was used in like third world countries against, you know, some kind of third world, uh, you know, uh, crusaders or something, you know, nobody that I've ever heard of. Oh, really? You ever heard of Emmanuel Macron? Well, his phone was infected by Pegasus. Nobody's exactly sure what the story there is, uh, but it definitely was. Somebody targeted him. The same thing is true of the leaders of other, uh, you know, others, uh, the prime minister of France, uh, many French ministers and diplomats were targeted. Uh, how about the president of Iraq, uh, prime minister of Lebanon, prime minister of Pakistan, president of South Africa? These are the people that are on the list. So if you are like, whoa, 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 I don't know if somebody should be able to listen in on the conversations of the president of France, then you're probably on our side in saying that these things are really bad tools and they really shouldn't be out there. And the fact that they were able to find these zero day, no click exploits that would allow them to install this payload on the latest and greatest Apple stuff with the latest and greatest is, uh, is pretty, pretty terrifying. So um, anyway, the bottom line is, yeah, there's a tool that you can use to detect it. Um, I know it sounds insane, but I downloaded the tool and ran it against my phone. Not because I think that I'm being targeted, but because the problem with these tools is that it makes it so easy to target that uh, the people on the other end of the line might say, okay, we'll just target a whole bunch of people. You know, maybe I talked to somebody that they were targeting and now they target me and it could be you. You know, maybe you talk to somebody who talked to somebody who was, uh, you know, somehow swept up by the good guys, the non-good guys, or the bad guys, and they've all got their hands on this tool. So the bottom line is uh, this, th this whole thing is just terrifying. And, um, and, and, and kudos to companies like Google and Microsoft and Apple who are trying to do something about this and resist this. And, um, you know, kudos to these poor, um, you know, civil rights crusaders who've been targeted by this. Uh, you know, yeah, Jamal Khashoggi was one of the people that was infected by this mal malware, but also people like Stan Swamy in uh, India and uh, Lujan al-Hathlul in Saudi Arabia, who are uh, absolutely standing up for the, the good and noble things and uh, should not be targeted by things like this. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, you, everyone is, who is a fan of the rundown knows a kind of our perspective on these things. And uh, honestly, what we can do is we can tell you that they're happening. We can tell you why they're bad ideas. We can tell you that they're being misused. But you know, it's up to us as the the public to put the pressure on people to stop developing these things and stop using them for, well, things that quite honestly they shouldn't be used for.
But the good news is that we have reached the end of the rundown. We've reached the end of these dreary stories. And we have a whole week ahead of us of hopefully happy things of people getting launched into space and things like that. Um, you know, Stephen, it's, uh, you know, July is a pretty busy month for all of us. Uh, what are some things that you're working on that people should definitely go check out? Well, one thing that I would recommend checking out is uh, techfieldday.com, where we've got links to some of the companies mentioned in this, uh, including, uh, you know, some of these backup and recovery companies. You know, if you're wondering who Hazelcast is, that'd be a good way to find out. Uh, also, I'd like to point out that we do have some events coming up here soon. Uh, so the first week in August, we've got a special event with Dell uh, Technologies, where we're going to be learning more about their HCI and storage. So I mentioned VxRail, for example, you can learn about that. Uh, also, we've got a storage field day event coming up here as well with a bunch of companies in the space. So if you're interested in enterprise storage technology, uh, mark your calendar for the first week in August. Uh, we also have an event coming up here with uh, NGINX. Uh, this is a company that makes uh, the software that runs more than half the websites in the universe, including the um, website that you're probably watching this on. Uh, they also have a bunch of enterprise technology, and we're going to be taking a deep dive at their NGINX Sprint event in August, so August 23 and 24. Uh, please do check that out. You can attend that event uh, for free uh, by going to the NGINX website, nginx.com, and uh, go slash events slash NGINX Sprint 2021, or just look for the Sprint 2.0 logo. So uh, do check that out if you're in the uh, web application space. How about you, Tom? We just got finished with Mobility Field Day. It was a pretty exciting ride with uh, some of the new Wi-Fi 6E APs being announced and discussed, and, and honestly, some non-Wi-Fi stuff from companies like Solona uh, talking about private LTE. So you're definitely going to want to go check out those videos. Head over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash techfieldday. Look for the playlist for Mobility Field Day 6. There's a lot of great info in there. Um, you know, the Wi-Fi space keeps uh, iterating. It keeps getting better and faster. And, you know, this time next year, I don't know what the future of Wi-Fi is going to look like, but I bet you it'll be, you know, gigabit speed or better. Um, also, I am going to be uh, taking a little bit of time off here to uh, co-recharge my batteries. But thankfully, Stephen and our friend Zach Demeyer are going to be taking over for the next week's rundown. I'm sure they're going to have lots of great stories. But in the meantime, please make sure you check out our website at gestaltit.com. We have a lot of great articles that we link there. We have a lot of great uh, multimedia assets, including podcasts, videos, roundtable discussions, you name it. There's enough content out there to keep you buzzing for the next, I don't know, four or five months if you if you haven't already been keeping up with it. Um, thank you very much for tuning into the Gestalt IT Rundown. We're here every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time. Um, we would appreciate it if you follow us on social media. We're at Gestalt IT on Twitter. Um, you can follow us on LinkedIn. You can follow us uh, all over the place, really. Uh, that's the best way to get the latest updates on all the things that we're doing. And for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for my co-host, Stephen Foskett, for our great Gestalt IT crew and the wonderful community that is a part of everything that we do, thank you very much for tuning in. And we hope that you have an amazing week, and we will see you next Wednesday.